Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Matthew 6, here's our scripture reading, all right? Verses 19 through 24. Jesus speaking here, he says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body, verse 22, Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great that darkness. No one, verse 24, can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. Uh, these, are, these are the words of Jesus. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning again for the gift of your word. We are here to, to, to hear from you, to learn from you. We open up right now um, space in our hearts. As this time and this space is for you, we open up the space in our hearts to receive from you. And that's what I want to seek to do, God. I want to make space in my life for you to use me. And I just seek to empty myself. I ask that you'd get me out of the way, that you would use, God, um, me and what I've prepared as a vessel to speak to your, your kids, to your church. And so fill me with your spirit. And as we pray each week, um, hopefully not re- uh, religiously, we want to pray this genuinely. God, would you give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to speak into our lives today? Speak to us, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are just about exactly halfway, just past, I should say, halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. And if there's one thing that we could learn uh, from Jesus, or rather about Jesus at this point, it's that there's really no topic that Jesus doesn't have wisdom in. He's a pretty well-rounded individual, you know, the whole being the king of the universe and everything. That probably gives way to that. But, but so far, just think about the, plet- the plethora of topics that Jesus has spoken into. You've heard the expression, you know, um, jack of all trades, master of none. Or, right? But it's, for Jesus, it's like he's a jack of all trades and a master of all. You know, he's like, he, he seems to have such great wisdom as this is God himself speaking. What greater wisdom can you receive than the counsel of God himself in the form here of a man, Jesus? And he's spoken to so many different topics. He's talked about blessing. He's given wisdom on what it means to be impactful with your life, as salt and life. He's given his wisdom on the scriptures, on the Old Testament. Jesus has spoken about Anger and murder, lust, adultery, marriage, commitments. He's talked about how to do good. He's given a, a master class uh, on prayer, on fasting. That's what we looked at this week. And then here in this section, we have Jesus speaking into the topic of finances, of our pockets, of our bank accounts, 
of our possessions, our assets. It's the, the big heading of as the topic of money and materialism. That's the big idea here. That which is material and tangible and is an, within our possession. Now, we have all, I'm sure, at some point in our life, had to seek out some kind of financial advice, right? Uh, someone to speak into how we're managing our money, how we're organizing our budgets. Maybe you personally have seen a financial advisor that's giving you the best bet of where to place your money, whether it's a 401k or some investment. Maybe you've even gone to see a financial consultant, someone to, to sit down and help you reorganize all of your, your saving and your spending. Well, here, that's kind of what we have as we step into Jesus' office. Jesus is giving us financial advice. And that's the title of this message. It could really be better, uh, probably financial advice from Jesus. Uh, But that's what we have here from Jesus. Jesus, he has no reservations to uh, regarding getting all up in our business, okay? It's not like Jesus is like, hi, I'm Jesus, okay? I came to die for for the sins of the world. I came to rescue you from from sin, Satan, and hell, and and I'm here now as your savior, and I'm just, don't worry, I'm not going to get into your finances, okay? I just want you to do a few good things, and I want you to go to church and be a respectable person. We kind of paint this picture of Jesus as being someone who kind of categorically cares about some things and not others. And probably one of the main things that we very rarely like to have Jesus speak into or the church speak into is this specific topic, this category, what I'm doing with my money, which we'll learn is what we're doing with God's money, right? What I'm doing with my possessions, Am I hoarding or am I stewarding? And Jesus, he doesn't pull any punches here. He gets right up into the place that's rightfully his as the Lord of our life. And in this passage, he's going to give financial advice. He's going to get all up in our business. The idea here is going to be that how we spend our money, what we do with our resources, how we approach material things, listen, it matters. It really matters. It matters for this life and it matters for the life to come. But I want you to notice that the kind of financial advice that Jesus is giving here, um, it's not in regard to the details of our budget. Jesus doesn't spend any time getting into the percentage of our giving to the local church. Uh, Jesus doesn't take any time to talk about the best investment or the best 401k or or 403b or whatever other digit and, and, you know, letter. He doesn't talk about whether or not you should buy or sell your house right now, and he doesn't get into the the housing market at all. Jesus gets into, instead, the deeper stuff, the stuff that actually matters most. If you, you notice what we just read there, the financial advice that Jesus is giving, the material advice that Jesus is giving, it has more to do with the heart. It has more to do with who you are, not just what you're doing with your money, but how do you see money? How do you see materials? What's your desire in regards to wealth? And so let's look at the advice that the great consultant Jesus gives to us regarding our finances. And there's really three things in this passage, um, and that's not just because I have a knack for preaching three-point sermons, okay? There really is three specific things that Jesus wants us to think about, uh, three things he wants us to evaluate in regard to how we're approaching finances and material possessions. 
the first one is found here in verses 19 through 21, and you can write this down. The first evaluation that Jesus leads us to is to evaluate what, we, what we'll call the trajectory of our treasure. The trajectory of our treasure. The question to ask would be, what is the trajectory of my treasure? The, the, a bigger question here is, where are you investing your life? What's the trajectory of your treasure? And to kind of unpack this a little further, what we have here in these verses that we read is we have two life directions, two life trajectories, two trajectories of treasure. The first is one, someone who is, Jesus says, laying up treasure on earth. We read it there in verse 19. Someone who is investing their life into laying up earthly possessions. All right, now the idea here of earth of this trajectory is it's not about having stuff, okay? We all possess some things. No matter how much or how little it is, we all have some degree of possessions. Jesus is not speaking against owning stuff, okay? He's not speaking against having material possessions. Notice what he speaks against. He speaks against that, that phrase there, laying up material possessions. Another word for that is hoarding or storing this is not a practice in life. This is more of a trajectory in life. Here's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is starting by discouraging us from this kind of life that has this end goal of merely accumulating or amassing as much wealth and possessions as possible. This is what it means to lay up treasures on earth. It's a trajectory of treasure. It means the end goal and purpose of your life is to fill your barns as much as possible. It's to fill your house, it's to get as much property, to get how much stuff can I cram into this moment I have here on earth? How deep can my pockets get? How big can my storage unit get? How many cars can I have to fill the driveway? How up to date can I be with the newest technology? I remember when iPhone 3G was cool, and then it became the 3GS, and I was like, dang it, Siri had to come along and make me realize how much I don't have, you know? Where are you investing your life? That's the question. Now, Jesus is saying that the end result of this, the end result of this kind of trajectory of life is that you're left with all this earthly treasure that you leave behind when you pass on. So this is the end goal of your life is possessing. What ends up happening is you amass all of these possessions, and then you die, and what happens to your possessions? They outlive you, but they're not eternal. He says that they are prone and they are subject to destruction. They're perishable. They're not eternal. They're not forever. It's giving your life. And Jesus is saying this, right? This is not the way to live, okay? This is not a good trajectory to have in regards to your treasure. This is like uh, materialism 101. Don't invest in things that are passing away. Don't spend the gift of your life on things that are not going to bring you into the life to come. Don't waste your life trying to hoard as much stuff as possible. Again, it's not about not buying something. It's okay to have possessions. But what's the end goal of your life? What's the trajectory of your treasure? Instead, Jesus says, here's another option. Instead of laying up treasure on earth, what about this trajectory? What about instead laying up treasure in heaven? What if your whole life wasn't about how much value can I have in this life, but what if it was about thinking about not just this life, but the life to come? 
Jesus is comparing, contrasting two kinds of treasures. Treasures on earth and then treasures in heaven. Now, we want to ask, I think, an important question, two important questions about this statement. Uh, first question would be, what does it mean to lay up treasure in heaven? And the second question would just be, like, what does it look like? Okay, so first and foremost, what does this mean? Like, treasure in heaven. Now, this is a consistent biblical concept that Jesus is getting at here in verse 20. And the idea is that there are rewards. There is blessing. There is genuine treasure for faithfulness in this life that you earn in the life to come. There is reward. Jesus himself is a treasure. And he, he, you know, him alone is enough, right? He is the greatest treasure. It was David who said, whom have I in heaven but you? Right? And it's been well said, I think it's an important perspective to have, that we don't go to Jesus to get the riches of heaven, but we go to heaven to get the riches of Jesus. He is that incredible treasure. But there is, imagine that, like, but wait, there's more with Jesus. There's all the promises of eternal life. You see, as Christians, we are not those that merely live in this blip of our lifetime, but we are, we are those that live with eternity in mind. There's more to come. We live to invest in the life of come. So, so this idea of living uh, towards the trajectory of heaven, uh, my treasure in heaven, it, the idea is living my life, okay, in such a way that I have the next life in mind. That will affect whether or not your whole purpose is to fill your barns, right? Practically speaking, it, it's not about how much bigger can my house be, how much more filled can my storage unit be, but it's how much bigger and more filled can the kingdom of heaven be? How can I use what I have for the kingdom of God, for eternal treasure? It's a whole different trajectory. We see this, right? One is about materialism, and it's temporal things, destructible things, and one is about the kingdom of God, eternal things, untouchable things. Uh, listen to how John Piper says it. His quote says it best as he describes this. He says this. He says, we lay up our treasures in heaven unpacking and commentating on this verse, he says, by using our money and possessions strategically and sacrificially to serve others in love and to advance God's kingdom priorities. I want you to just take a moment and just think about your life. What's your trajectory? How is it that you are stewarding what you have? Are you on this trajectory of trying to hoard as much as possible with a tight fist, stingy, clenched hands? Or do you have this posture of recognizing all that you have is a gift from God, so your hands are wide open, he gives, he takes away. And so you recognize all that you have has been entrusted to you for the purpose and the benefit and the good of others in the kingdom. You live your life, you surrender your life sacrificially, and I love this word, strategically. You strategically invest your life into the life to come. Now, th this could look so many different ways, and, and my challenge to you would, would just be to be praying about that. Uh, be praying about how you can be personally investing in the life to come with your resources. But here's four ways. So we ask, what does it mean? But here's what it looks like. Here are some ways and some things that you can invest as you lay up treasure in heaven. How about these four things? Time, money, your resources, and your skills. There's many more, but let's just narrow it down to these. First, your time. 
Time is, a, is currency, isn't it? Time is a valuable commodity. Time is money. Some of you, you know what that's like. You clock in and you clock out. Your time is how you get paid. And that's a good thing, okay? The scripture also says if you don't work, if you don't put in the time, you shouldn't, you know, get free lunches, okay? You don't eat. So working, working hard is a noble thing. It's a, it's a characteristic of even a pastor in the church, uh, to be, even be a, a qualified to be a leader in the local church, Paul says you got to be able to take care of your household. You got to be someone who works hard. But how else are you using your time? How do you see your time? When you're off time, when you clock out, how are you prioritizing? How are you spending your time? And that's the idea, right? We, we talk about spending time like it's financial. How can you be using your time for more than just recreation? That's important. Margin is important. But how are you using your time that you have with your family right now and your kids for not just this life but for the life to come? Sometimes the best thing you can do with your time is invest it into your family. Some of you, it's not, this isn't about, maybe this is for you, the way that you can lay up treasures in heaven is you're spending way too much time in the office and way too much time for yourself, and you need to start spending time, more time laying up treasures in heaven by investing as a father present with your kids. But think about this, where and how can you invest your time? Uh, how about money? This is stewardship 101. How are you giving to the mission of the local church? Bringing, it really is the word used in scripture of the tithe. It's not something we give to God. It's something we bring back to God. God, my first fruits belong to you. Am I prioritizing the mission of God through giving to the local church? Am I prioritizing the heart of God by giving to the poor? How am I utilizing my finances? Is it, is, and this is the way that you can see this. You just look at how you're spending. Just look at how you're spending. And Jesus will go on to say that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Just look at how you're spending. That'll really show where your trajectory is, right? And then last, uh, how about these last two? Uh, resources. Resources. What has God blessed you with that can be a blessing to others? How can you start to see what you have as something to utilize for the good of others and for the sake of the kingdom? And just, how about skills? Basic skills. I think of Liam Neeson. He's got a special set of skills, okay? What's, how are you like Liam Neeson and Taken, okay? What are, what are you, no, seriously, though, what are your skills? How has God gifted you, and how are you utilizing those for the sake of building others up, using your gifts? Paul tells Timothy, fan the flame, stir up the gift of God that is in you. So these are some, some things that we can invest into eternity. We can hold on to them, or we can steward them, thinking of the life, the next life to come. Uh, the next point that, that Jesus has us thinking about, uh, he starts with the trajectory of our treasure. And the second thing he has us thinking about is, you can write this next one down, it's the essence of your eye. The essence of your eye. And right now you're like, well, I think it's, um, it's made of tissue. I know there's a cornea. And, okay, but I'm, I'm not talking about your physical eye. I am in a sense, but notice what Jesus here, he talks about the nature of your eye, and this is another really important part of how you approach materialistic things and how you approach finances. It's how you see them, right? So he says this, now remember the context here, this verse is sandwiched between two verses about materialism and money, so that's the context, okay? I'm going to make sure we allow uh, 
the, the words of Scripture to be heard in their full understanding, their full context. And Jesus says this about possessions and, and, and such. He says, verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So, so think about this interesting idea. You've heard this expression, right? The eye is the window to the soul. In that culture, Jesus is unpacking, that probably comes from this passage, where Jesus is unpacking this idea that how you see and what you see and your vision, your sight, is the source of light to your whole being. Now, we know that the gospel uses this duality of darkness and light. The, there's, the scripture uses this, this duality, this concept to communicate a lot about what God has done in Christ, right? Like, like we were stuck in darkness. Jesus seeks to bring us into the light. Jesus is the light who's come into the world. Even from the very beginning, there was darkness and God said, let there be light. And what a great picture of the gospel that God saw your and my darkness and he sent his son and he said, let there be light. Let Jesus come into the world and illuminate the darkness of those who are lost. And that's what we we have now in Jesus, man. We have the light. Jesus says to us that we are the light of the world, but there is this tendency, even as the light of the world, navigating a world of darkness, there's a tendency to just have our hearts flooded with darkness. Each and every day, darkness is creeping in or seeking to. Darkness is knocking on our door, seeking to fill and infiltrate the places that the light has penetrated. Now, the light is more powerful than darkness, but that darkness is always seeking to take up residence again where Jesus has brought light. And notice what Jesus says here. He says the way in which that often happens, or really he says the way in which it does happen, is through the eye. That's where darkness is seeking to creep in. It's through your sight. He says your eye is your lamp. So if, if this is lit up, if it's, if it's seeing rightly, he says if it's good, if the essence of your eye is good, then you're, you'll be filled with light. But if the essence of your eye, he says, is bad, you'll be filled with darkness. Now, let, let's talk about this for a second. Having a good eye. All right? Good eye equals filled with light. Bad eye equals filled with darkness. So what does it mean to have a good eye? Does that mean you can see things from far away? Like, hey, good eye, Bill. All right. You saw that marlin from him. Okay. Um, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, what is this idea that Jesus is getting at? A good eye, the nature of your eye. Now, certainly we know that this can speak to temptation, right? There's, there's a lot of truths that this can speak to. That It's not necessarily in this passage, but let me just share a couple things here. Um, we know that, that the fall of man began with with, the, with a bad eye. It began with Eve seeing the pleasurable draw of the fruit. That, that's usually where sin begins. Think of David and Bathsheba up on his rooftop and he sees and he is drawn away by his own desires because he had a bad eye. Uh, another thing that this can speak to is not just sin and temptation, but what we allow to enter the window of our soul. What we allow in, we should be in, listen, you can't always control what you see. And as Christians, we're not called to live with, with blinders on, walking through this world, like hiding like little hermits. We're called to bring our light into this world. But we can control what we look at. Do you understand? Can't always control what comes into perspective. But I, I can change the channel. I can turn off the show. I can exit the app. I can close the computer. 
I can turn my head this way, okay? And so that's the idea too, man. What you allow to enter your eye. It was Job who said, man, I made a covenant with my eyes. I'm going to be intentional because there's so much at stake here with what I allow, with the darkness or the light that I allow to fill my life through the window of my soul. But here in this passage, what I think Jesus is really speaking to is not just what I'm seeing, but I believe he's speaking to how I'm seeing. Do you have a good eye in regards to how you see possessions, materialistic things? Here's a couple things that you could evaluate the essence of your eye uh, in regards to, to, again, going back to this financial advice. Jesus wants us to ask, what kind of an eye do I have? How do I see material things and finances? A a good place to start would be uh, simply here. How do you see what you have? How do you see what you have? When you evaluate your possessions, how do you see them? Do you have a good eye? When you look right now at your life, is your focus on what God has given you? Is there a sense of gratitude when you see what you have? The vision is not what you don't have, if I only had more. Or is the vision on what God has blessed you with, what God has given you? The the idea that this is getting at is contentment, right? Right? This is a principle taught in Scripture. Uh, it's how you see what you have. Uh, look at 1 Timothy 6. It says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, the cultural Scripture, 1 America 6 6, okay, 1 Capitalism 6 6, is now reaching the next tax bracket is great gain. Now, getting the raise is great gain. But scripture says, no, godliness with contentment is great gain. Again, this is not, there's nothing wrong with working hard, but it's about how do you see what you have? Do you see what you have as never enough, or do you have this heart that Paul gets out of contentment? He says, for we brought nothing into this world, verse 7, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out. This is just the truth. So having food and clothing with these things, we shall be content. God, look what I have. I'm thankful. When I see others and I see what they don't have, maybe I can be thankful for what I do have. How do I see, do I have a good eye? How do I see what I have? He closes with this, those who desire to be rich, 1 Timothy 6, 9, fall into, tempta- attempt, into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Wow. The desire to be rich. Now, this is not the same thing as the desire to provide well for your family and to be a good steward and to work hard and to be able to save for your children so that they can have an inheritance. But the idea here is you're never content. You're never able to say, God, thank you for that paycheck because it wasn't enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's void of contentment. You know, in 1992, there was this survey done, a nationwide survey, survey where people were asked how much money How much money would you have to make in order to reach and to have the American dream? What's the number? Okay, now notice this. Those who earned, in this survey, those who earned $25,000 or less a year thought that they would need around $54,000. If I could get to $54,000 a year, uh, then I would reach the American dream. In addion to that, those in the 100,000 six-figure tax bracket, 100,000 annual income bracket, said that they could be at the dream if they averaged 192,000. So I'm at 100,000. If I could just get to 192,000, then I've reached the American dream. And the more you go up, the more you see this pattern. 
you have these figures that indicate that typically what we think is if we would just and could just double our income, then we would reach that place of happiness. But you know what happens when you get to that next level? You have another level that you haven't reached yet. There's always more to get. There's always more to get. And you're left right back in the book of Ecclesiastes chasing the wind. And what another way that Jesus gives us. He says, don't see what you have through that lens. See it through the lens of contentment. Remember the words of Paul in Philippians. What a great example Paul is when he says this. I speak in regard to need. He says, for I have learned, what a thing to learn here, in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, a.k.a. I know how to have nothing. And I know how to abound Everywhere and in all things, I have learned something you got to learn. You don't, you don't incidentally just end up there. You've got to set your heart on contentment. You learn to be both full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I bet you never read the context of that verse before. Okay, Thanks, Steph Curry. Okay. Um, the idea here is not just, man, whatever you set your mind to, all right, if you, you can do it, you can win the NBA finals through Christ who strengthens you. Okay, maybe, like, maybe that is what God does for you. Okay, I didn't study for this test, but Philippians 4.13, baby. All right, that was me. That was like the one verse I knew in high school. I was like, yes, Lord, okay. I'm, like, I'm back on your side if you'll help me pass this test, you know. The context here is not Paul saying, God, I'm going to use you to accomplish anything I want. What Paul is saying is that the source of my strength in all seasons is not what I have, but who I have. So I've learned to have a lot. Man, there's been seasons where I've abounded. I've been blessed. It's the highs. It's the full bank account. But that's not the source of my strength because I've also been in seasons where that comes and goes and now I'm at rock bottom. But it's not rock bottom or the mountaintop that drives my life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contentment. Contentment is a spiritual wealth in and of itself. It's great gain to have what you need in Jesus. How do you see what you have? Do you see what you have with a scarcity mentality? Or do you see what you have through the lens of contentment, an abundance mentality? Man, I have man, food and clothing. With these we shall be content. How do you see, here's another important question, how do you see what others have? Talking about the essence of your eye. And the idea here is, is thinking about what's the nature of your eye when it comes to covetousness, right? Covetousness, this command of Scripture, don't cover your neighbor, covet your neighbor's house or his wife. Covetousness. It's not knowing that I really needed that thing until I saw it. And, and now I'm, I'm actually deceived into thinking I need something that I just really want. Why? Because they have it. And they seem so happy on Instagram. And if only I could have that shell of a life with the 2.5 children, tire swing, white picket fence, and Russ's truck. I, I love Russ's truck. I'm like thinking lately. Okay, but you know, he's got a used truck. The guy's not, you know, but, but still, you know, I'm driving my Volkswagen lately, and Russ pulls up, and I'm going, man, I want a truck, you know. But, but what, a great, what a great question for, for all of us to ask. I was talking to Judah about this yesterday. We were driving, and there was a truck in front of us, and Dad goes, oh, Judah goes, Dad, don't you want a truck? And there I am in the minivan. <laughs> yeah, son. <laughs> and we got to have a great conversation. You know, Judah, tomorrow I'm teaching about 
this thing called covetousness. I got to have a conversation with him about it. And one of the things that Judah and I talked about was the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Jesus says this after telling a parable. He says, notice this phrase, take heed and beware, beware, watch out for covetousness. And then this principle, for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Now that's the illusion. If I could just have that next thing, if I could possess that next thing, then my life would consist with greater quality. And Jesus is like, no, that's not where, the, where abundant life is found. Abundant life is found in me. But if we're going to be there, we've got to have a good eye. And if we're going to have a good eye in how I see others' things, I've got to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm warning myself. I'm aware and I'm being careful to watch out. Now, this is important. He says, beware of covetousness. Okay, you, you will not accidentally have a good eye. We've all got to be, we got to be intentional. We got to be aware of it. And I think one of the main reasons is because covetousness is subtle. Greed seems to be the one sin that nobody struggles with, right? Only those, you know, wealthy people, those who have a lot, which that's never the the definition of greed in scripture. It's, greed is not reserved for the wealthy. Greed is reserved for the love of money in scripture. And wanting and needing. Why is it that greed is the one sin that nobody struggles with? I think it's because nobody, you know, it's the one sin that's not as obvious. It's subtle, right? Like every other, like adultery. It's not like, oh, you're not my spouse. You know, it doesn't happen, right? Like, it's, it's not like, oh, beware. Oops, you know, murder. Oops, I killed you. Like, but covetousness, beware, he says. Watch out, man. Greediness, covetousness. Paul says it's idolatry. And it will subtly creep in and, and you'll go from, instead of rejoicing, man, someone got a raise and you rejoice with them, you, you start feeling that, oh, if I only had what they had. So it, it's, it's, Jesus said it's the source of either light or darkness. And, and I think a question to close with this, before, and then we'll wrap up with our last point, is, is lastly, how do you see what God has? Having a good eye, okay? The essence of your eye. How do I see what I have? Do I have a good eye? Am I allowing light or darkness in when I perceive what I have? Do I see it with contentment and gratitude? Do I have a scarcity or an abundance mentality? How do I see what others have? Do I have a, a covetous eye? Am I, am I being cautious and careful because of the subtlety of covetousness? Okay. And then how do I see what God has? It takes a good eye to see how faithful God is and how consistent he is to take care of everything we need. And maybe that's where your eyes really need to grow in this season. You've got to fix your eye on Jesus. That's what scripture says. If, if your eye is broken, fix it. Fix your eye on Jesus. Look at him. Trust in him. Get your eyes off of the stuff and get your eyes on the Savior. See him as the source of everything you have. It's James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every and anything we have, it's because there's a God who is good, a God of grace. Before we even got here, he created this good world. Before sin even wreaked havoc, and even after sin wreaked havoc, God fashioned a place for us to live, to enjoy, to flourish. He put food, he put oxygen here, he put relationship here. All the things that God has put, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. What's the essence of your eye? And lastly, I think to tie all of these uh, principles up, Jesus has us thinking about the Lord of our lives. The question to ask here is who or what is the Lord of your life or the master of your life. 
he sort of brings it home with getting to the heart of the matter, which is who are you serving and who is your master? At the end of the day, you have to ask, is it God or is it something or someone else? Because it cannot be and, it's either or. That's what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters. No one. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money and whatever else it is. You cannot serve God and fill in the blank. This is what, if uh, we honestly took the words of Jesus to heart and we read them at face value, we actually read them in general. This is what caused, in Jesus' time, a lot of people to walk away from Jesus, right? Right? Because a lot of us, what we, want to, what we want Jesus to be and how we see Jesus is we, we see him as like an addition to our lives, right? Like, here's my life, and I'm just going to add Jesus. You know, I, the idea of heaven compared to eternity apart from God, you know, and, and hell. Like, I like, that's nice. The whole, I've sinned, I know that. Let me add Jesus to that. And, and so what a lot of us do with Jesus is we create, we create him to be the supplement to our life, that's there to just enhance and get me where I need to go. And we sort of look at him like, you could say, like an addition, almost like a butler even. But if we read the words of Jesus, we see that there's, there's no talk of that. Um, Jesus actually warns about this day coming where a lot of people are going to stand before him. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord. But really what they could say is addition, addition. You were just an addition to my life. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I was never the Lord of your life. I was a part of your life. Jesus says, listen, you cannot serve two masters. It's not adding Jesus to your life. Jesus says it's giving up your life. It's him becoming your life. It's been well said that Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And he says here, when it comes to money, um, you can serve God with your money, but you can't serve God and money. And he says, at the end of the day, it's one of two masters. You're either, it's a line in the sand. Either money is your God or God is. Either your whole life is about your own selfish purposes or it's about laying down your life for the purposes of the kingdom of God. So the question is, who's the Lord of your life? And I want to just submit to you that there is no better master. There is no better Lord than King Jesus. In fact, that's why he came. And he didn't come to rule over us because he has a, a power control problem. He came to rule over us because he loves us. And he saw all the counterfeit masters that were destroying us. And he came to set us free because he is the only one true God. The only one true Lord. He's the only master through which he gives his life for those who belong to him. See, every other Lord will offer you temporary satisfaction and take from you everything. But it's only Jesus that offers you eternal satisfaction by giving up for you everything. What a master. In fact, this is what Paul says about the church at Thessalonica. I, I love this testimony of salvation. Is this not your and my story? Paul says, for they themselves declared to, uh, concerning us what manner of love we had, uh, what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols 
You turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Uh, that's our story. We've turned to God. We, it's repentance. We've turned to God and from the things that we used to trust in, and now we trust in Jesus. Now he's the Lord and the master of our life. And here's why, and I'll close with this, invite the, the band to come up to close this out. Paul says this. He says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, from which some, having strayed from the faith and the greediness, they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So this is that trajectory of serving and being loyal and loving money. What, what the love of money leads you to is, listen to this, this phrase, the end result of this master is at the end of your life when you're on your deathbed looking back on what you spent your whole life investing in. If it's for you and your kingdom in this world, you're going to be pierced with many sorrows. You're going to say, I wish I could have gone back and spent more time with my family. I wish I could go back and it wasn't about amassing as much wealth as possible. But I read what Solomon says. He's a guy who had it all and it was never enough. I wish I could go back and leverage this life for the life to come. And Paul says, listen, when wealth is your master, when material things are your master, you, the, the, the end result, the outcome is to be pierced with many sorrows. Now, what a unique expression to describe the end result of a materialistic life. Because that's the same expression that's used in Zechariah to describe what Jesus experienced on the cross. The Bible says that Jesus was pierced. He was our man of sorrows who went to a cross. He took upon himself the pain and the sin and the destructive outcomes of sin in this world so that you and I, man, we wouldn't have to be pierced with sorrows because the, our man of sorrows, Jesus, was pierced for us. And I don't have to try to find empty gain in, in the things around me because I know that I have it in Jesus. I've turned from idols to serve the living and true God I'm not going to be like the rich young ruler. Remember him? Came to Jesus. What must I do to have eternal life? And what Jesus finally gets at with this guy is you've got to surrender the master of your heart, which is your possessions. He tells him, sell what you have. Surrender and turn from your idol. Give it to the poor. He says, and then you'll find treasure in heaven. And the scriptures tell us about this man that he, he there, at, when that line was drawn in the sand, it says he walked away sorrowfully because he loved his possessions. Because of all that he had. Well, well, what does that look like for you, man? As that line's drawn in the sand, are you going to continue to live a life where you have two masters? Are you with me, with us all, are we going to together pursue Jesus as the only, always, singular Lord of our life? We say, God, I'm not going to serve you and money. I'm going to serve you with my money. I'm not going to spend my life trying to amass possessions, but I'm going to steward and leverage my life for your kingdom and your glory. I'm not going to waste my life getting pierced through with sorrows when you were pierced for me. This is the good news of the Christian faith. You don't have to try to do this on your own. You have a Savior who's done it for you. All we got to do is come to him and receive his riches. So let's, in light of that, surrender to him in this moment Let's build our lives in a fresh way upon who he is.